Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. from California and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, May 25th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 64 and we'll be starting with the second paragraph. We did exactly the same thing. The reference number for Tuesday, May 24th is 8765. Today's readers are Chelsea H., Susie K., and Linda R. Away Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Esther F., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Esther F. I will now ask Barbara N. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara N. in New York, recovered just for today. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, 
the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Thank thank you, Barbara N. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the Big Book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book on page 64, starting with the second paragraph and reading through the next paragraph. And I will now ask Chelsea H. to begin reading. Thank you, Julie. Good morning. Chelsea H., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Living in the Solution One Day at a Time. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self, manifested in various ways, was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have not been only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We ask ourselves why we were angry. 
In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Okay, still Chelsea, still recovered just for today. So this part of the text for me talks about how it's time for me to do some self-examination in an honest way and accept whatever I find. And it's telling me that if I don't deal with these resentments, this stuff that I'm feeling over and over and over again that's eating me alive, I will go eat again. And no matter, even if I got to this point in step three and I did all of that, if I don't take this inventory to deal with these different issues that have come up to cause so much wreckage in my life, I will eat again. It's just that simple. And it says that when this spiritual malady is overcome here, I'll be able to straighten out mentally and physically. Well, the spiritual malady is overcome as a result of taking the steps so that I can discover the exact nature of who I am, my true nature, what makes up my attitudes, emotions, and ideas that need to be rearranged, that need to be totally revolutionized. And I'll get to see that. And this is the first time the big book is telling me to write. It says that we did it, we took our paper now. Up until this point, I've come to a conclusions about things, and I've made a decision on those conclusions. It has not told me to write anything up until that point, until now. So I get out paper and pencil and take a look here at these liabilities that are causing me so many problems that I refuse to discard. Because I'm so busy living in the past, I can't even accept what's happening now let alone deal with the future. So there is no future if I can't deal with right now what's going on with me. And it says we ask ourselves. So this is reflection. This is a time for me to look into myself. We always talk about how ask on this line means prayer. Well, am I praying to myself here? No, I'm taking a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. I'm taking a deep look because the roots that I place down now are roots that are sour. They're putting out stuff that's causing me to do things to hurt myself, and I keep watering them. Denial is the biggest one, the deepest root. So this process, this four-step process, will help me to confront denial, that I am finite. I'm confronting the denial that I think I am God, and I'm not. I don't know what is or what isn't. I know now it's not me, but that's as a result of doing the work. But at this point in the work, in looking at my liabilities, it'll allow me a chance to fill up my spiritual bank because I'm bankrupt when I come in here spiritually. So this process will allow me to clear away some of the debris so that my source greater than myself can come in and really do the Roto-Rooter work and get my life back on track. Because the channel is so blocked with obstinacy, I'm handicapped, it told me, by that. And thinking that I am something that I can do to, to make others do things. So this process really helps me to unfold and to accept the fact that I am finite and I need to have a relationship with power that's infinite. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Chelsea. And I'd like to remind everyone that we will be focusing our con our comments on the second paragraph that was read, resentment is the number one offender. And who would like to share on this paragraph? Ronnie P. This is Bella. Can I share? I got Ronnie P. There was somebody else right after Ronnie P. before Bella. Kim G. Kim G. Kathy K. 
Kathy K. Vasta C. Vasta O. Allison C. Is it Allison? Yes, Allison C. Nessa R. Nessa. Okay, we're going to, um, we'll stop right there. So it's going to be Ronnie P., Kim G., Bella G., Kathy K., Vasa, Allison, and Nessa. So Ronnie P., go ahead. Okay, thank you. Good morning. Uh, this is Ronnie P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, I love this paragraph. And uh, as Chelsea had mentioned, it is the first thing that really calls us into action. Before this, we've, all, we've, we've done a lot of thinking and assessing, and now we're going to get to action. We're going to pick up the pencil and do it. And, um, you know, I had put off for years, years and years in the room doing it because I thought this would show me in stark relief all my defects, and I did not want to be reminded what a defective person I was. And um, so I thought, this looks pretty brutal. Why do I want to be reminded of this defective person that I know I am? And it, instead, it had the opposite effect. I found out that you know the the things that I were that I was calling defects were just my own fears and my ego trying to compensate for sort of this deep sense that I wasn't good enough, and I had I I was so um, not sort of in tune with the higher power that. Um, I had to have a lot of ego, and I did resent people who threatened my ego because that was all I had. So no wonder I fought so hard and held on to it because I didn't have anything else. But in the process of doing the steps, um, I came to this realization of what my higher power was. And my higher power was like, well, of course I'm worthy of, of you know, all the, all the defects. They're like real defects of behavior trying to compensate for this deep down belief that I was just not worthy, I was alone, there was no God. Um, instead, I came to my own very personal understanding of God. And because I kept thinking that, well, no, I have to get back to wanting that God of my childhood, and that is just not a good God. And so I kept, you know, boy, did I adapt in defective ways to that. And what program has done is given me back just the dignity of, of, of my humanity. And for newcomers on the line, you know, you will find things out about yourself. Um, yeah, there's character defects, but they are done in response to what? And usually what they're done in response to, I have found in myself and in people I sponsor, is just this feeling of, of that, you know, I'm, I'm just hollowed out. There's nothing there. So I discovered a higher power that is so unique to me. It's not the higher power of my childhood. It's my own, and it was revealed through the steps. So these steps will show you who your higher power is, what it is. It'll give you words to describe it. It'll, it'll reveal yourself to yourself in the best, most wonderful way. And so when that happens, you know, when, when my resentments come up for me, it's like, okay, where did I think I have to be God again? Oh, I'm not God. I don't need to be God. God is always here. I'm good. Uh, so that's what I have to say. Thanks so much, and I pass. Thank you, Ronnie P. Kim G., you're next, and then Bella G. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I did share this on the after meeting yesterday, but it's just so important I want to share it again on the recording. The sentence, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And unfortunately, I, I, I hear people, I hear meetings, I even hear sex of Overeaters Anonymous 
that justify the fact that the steps make you abstinent. Look, that sentence is telling me I straighten out spiritually and then the physical happens. So the steps will get me abstinent. And I have actually talked to AA people about this and said, this is what I hear in my fellowship. And they look at me as if a lunacy commission should be appointed because that doesn't make any sense. So I just wanted to point out the places in the big book where it tells us we have to be abstinent first. So in the doctor's opinion, I actually see five different places. On page XXVI, it says it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he has approached. On page XXVII, it says, of course an alcoholic should ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor before psychological measures should be taken. On XXX, it says the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And then on XXXI, when he's describing his patients, it says following his physical elimination, he accepted the plan in this book. Following his physical rehabilitation, he was sold on the ideas in this book. Bill, on page 13, admitted himself to the hospital and says being separated from alcohol for the last time. Now, Ebby was talking to him while he's drunk. There might be people on the line right now that are actively eating. You have been approached by people in this meeting, and the problem has been solved. If you want to go through with the process, which is what Bill did when he admitted himself into the hospital, you're going to need to put the food down to have the mental acumen to address the steps. When Bill met Bob, he called and Bill was passed out drunk, and they waited till the next day to go see him. When Bill and Bob approached Bill D and they found him in the hospital, they said, put him in a private room. We'll be down in two days. We need to be abstinent in order to do this. So when that, what is that sentence telling me? It's telling me once the spiritual malady is overcome, which is at step 12, not at step 3, not at step 7, not at step 8, in step 12, we will straighten them out mentally. How do we do that? Because actively engaging in this work in 10 and 11, our, our mental capacity is going to improve. And if we are, we are free of the, um, the mental obsession and we're abstinent from the beginning, we will straighten out physically. It means we will lose weight. We, we might be put off medications. Our diabetes, our heart blood, our blood pressure, all those things are going to get better as we move forward. It does not mean that physically we will get abstinent after we do the steps. And I think that's so important for us to hear that I wanted to repeat that again. The steps will not work if you are drunk. And, that's, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Bella G, and then Kathy K. Good morning. Thank you, Julie. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recover compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Why I am so happy and thankful to be back on the line after a while that I wasn't here. Well, resentment is the number one offender. Yes, before I came to the program and before I really did step four, my life was built and based on a huge tower of resentment that I believe in them. I believe in my own resentment, and my resentment was based on my ego, on my character defect, and I was busy blaming and judging and it was blaming and judging others and blaming and judging myself. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I am not there anymore. And today, you know, step four is after the three steps that were made me able 
to, to deal with my resentment in the positive way. You know, when I did, when I did the first time, step four, it was based on my connection to God, to a loving God. To, it was built on, you know, I, I, I was aware that I am powerless. And step four, to write all my resentment, it wasn't a punishment to show myself and others how bad I was and how not smart. It was to clean myself in, in, in a relaxful way because I was connected to a loving power, God that trusts me and loves me. And yes, I have, I have my character defect because I am human. And this is the way God wants me to, to behave. And yes, the resentment, you know, today, you know, I am human and I have those resentments, but the steps are the tools how to deal with them and not to want to the food, to deal with the resentment in a peaceful way, in a positive way, in a relaxful way. I am not bad. I am not stupid. I am human. I am not perfect. And yes, I have resentment, but I know now how to deal with them. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Kathy K. and then Vasa O. Thank you, Julie, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater in Boston. And, uh, oh, my goodness, this uh, paragraph brings back so many memories to me um, of when I started uh, my first fourth step. Um, I had had therapy over the years, um, and when I came to my fourth step, uh, my first reaction was, I don't have any resentments. And I, I see today that I was so numbed by the food and just coming out of the denial um, that I really, until I actually started writing down the names after I read the example that's on the next page in this book, um, I began to see how many resentments I did have, but I had no clue that it was my thinking that was um, perpetuating the resentments that I had. <clears throat> and it wasn't until I did the work of the fourth step turnarounds that we'll read about in a couple of pages that I could see my part. And as I started to see my part, the resentment began to dissipate, not because I was numbing myself, but because God was helping me to see my thinking and how my thinking actually created and perpetuated the resentments that I carried around with me. Um, I'll also say that miraculously uh, bringing my higher power into this work, which at that point was just an exercise of um, doing what my sponsor told me to do. I really did not yet have a strong conception of my higher power. But I found that by the time I was done with this work, 
uh, I had a level of gratitude that I had never experienced before, and I also had a newfound practice of going to God um, to help me with my spiritual illness or with the poor thinking that I had. I'm so grateful today because um, years of therapy did not do what um, a couple of months of intensive work did for me and continues to do for me as I do my 10 steps uh, on a daily basis. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. And Vata O, you're next with Allison H. After. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Julie, for your service. And I'm grateful recovering compulsive Ovita, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And uh, uh, I was introduced uh, uh, from my friend to the uh, to the program. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, she told me at that time how important for me it was to put the food down first and then work the rest of the steps. So I was abstinent even one week before I came to the program from um, my from my allergy foods, you know, allergic foods. But anyways, I really did step one, two, and three almost at the same time. And I, you know, again, I did find um, a higher power that I, of my own understanding, and I, but I didn't understand why, you know, I'm abstinent now. I don't want any more than what I have. That's what I want in my whole life, just to lose the weight and be happy and joyful, you know. And I kept on hearing, you know, if you don't work the steps, Vasa, you're going to go right back into the food, you know. And I was ready and willing to go to any length, you know, just listen and go through them, even though, you know, the step four, I remember hearing, oh, you get a clean house, you get a clean house. I said, well, I, my house is clean. I clean my house. They, I didn't understand the inside of myself, you know. I, it was the outside, like my house, the way I kept it clean. And, and I, I clean my house. It's really, really, really clean. I did not understand. I mean, looking back, it's so funny. And... Um, Yes, uh, and I heard that if I did the fourth step, it's going to be very, very healing. And of course, you know, I wanted to do it, even though it was embarrassing, you know, for me to write all these things down, the resentment. Of course, I carried, I was conscious of my resentment, you know, how other people had hurt me and, you know, and then I said, okay, I have hurt people like they had hurt me. I've done in some ways, you know. And uh, again, it's it's just oh my God! I I I wish I had known to do this work way way before I came, you know. But maybe I wouldn't have been ready to do it. And uh, it and I again, it's it's right here. The directions right here. And I did it the first time. I did a questionnaire. I didn't do this till like a little later, but the way it's laid out by the big book. But even the first one that I did, it was just very healing, you know. And uh, and then I did this with a big book, step study sponsor, the way, the way we do it here, one paragraph at a time. And I'm just so grateful that I've continued doing the work, you know. I don't do this perfectly, but the more I do it, the better I get at it. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. 
Thank you, Vasa O and Allison H. You're next, Vanessa R. Hi, this is Allison C. from New Jersey. Um, I, this paragraph, wow, there's just like so much um, that I want to say. Um, you know, when I did my fourth step, I knew, I knew I had resentment. I was angry at everything and everybody. And, um, you know, it says we set them on paper. And I, I really just like, as I'm writing them down, I'm just realizing like, wow. And just the pen, as soon as I put the pen to the paper, it was just like, you know, all this stuff just started blowing out of me. Um, it was just crazy. Um, but, um, you know, what I find really hard about um, the resentments that I have, I kind of had to really admit to myself that I had allowed that, that, I mean, most of it was my fault, you know, like looking at my selfishness and myself speaking. But um, one of the things that like struck me as we were reading this is, um, you know, I just, I let people walk all over me. I let people hurt me, hurt my feelings. Um, and I just, I allowed it to happen and I would never tell people and I would never take care of things and I would avoid situations like, um, you know, my boss making a comment to me, for example, um, you know, and then um, I would just allow it to happen without saying to him that, you know, it's unacceptable behavior for somebody to talk to me like that. Um, and so most of my um, resentments kind of stem from things that I've done um, and, you know, it's talking about here what it affects, you know, our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relations. And most of the time when I write those things out, it winds up being affecting almost pretty much all of them. Um, the uh, I like how it says here, um, when a spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And, um, you know, the spiritual malady is basically you know, this, this disease and writing all of these things out. Um, and, uh, sorry, I'm like fluttering over my words here. Um, but yeah. Um, so I have to ask my higher power for guidance, um, in, in how to straighten out all these matters and these resentments and, you know, doing my 10 steps and on a daily basis, just reviewing through my day and, um, taking care of these resentments as soon as they pile up because um, I can go back to that spiritual disease. I can go back to being sick again if I don't continually do this. This is something that I need to do every single day. It's not just I do a fourth step, I write all these things down, and then, you know, I'm done. I have to follow through with the rest of the steps and then continue every single day to go through this. And as soon as I have a resentment, as soon as I have a fear to go back and review through that, get it back down on paper, um, talk to my higher power about it, talk to my sponsor about it, and take the necessary actions and make the amends if there's an amends to be made. And uh, most of the time, you know, now I find that most of my amends are living amends. Um, and a lot of them are, like I said, going back to that thing of letting people walk all over me and really uh, sticking out for myself. And because I go to my higher power and I, I do pray um, every single morning, I can ask God to help me uh, find the willingness to talk with people and to find the, uh, the strength to do that and to take care of um, matters that need to be taken care of. So um, thank you for letting me share, and I'll pass. 
Thank you, Allison C. And Nessa R., you're next. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, just a few pages before, on page 62, it says, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And um, this, is the, this is the reason why. Um, you know, because I have feelings of entitlement and I have um, expectations of how life should be, uh, what people should do. And when, they, these, when those apps don't materialize, then my nose is out of joint and I get full of resentment, you know, and this is how my troubles arise out of myself because then I act out of my resentment. Um, you know, um, obviously I, I, I get into the food because of them, but my relationships suffer, you know. I, I try to, I try to uh, force people and circumstances to fit into my expectations and um, fulfill my entitlement. So... Um, for this process to work, I need to be willing to let go of the need to be right, the belief that things should be this way or that way, that I'm just an innocent bystander and, you know, I have no no um, um, say or no control in, in anything, you know, to unmake my troubles. Um, I need to do this. I need to change my perspective. You know, it, it may be true that things that happen in my life may not be entirely my fault or even my fault at all, but it is still my life, and I have to take responsibility for it. You know, what kind of life do I want to have? I mean, do I want to feel like a victim just watching things develop and being consumed by these resentments, or, um, you know, do I... Do I want a different kind of life? And if so, you know, I need to, I need to do this work. Um, and I find that very empowering because I may not be able to change my circumstances or other people, but I can change the way I think so that these resentments don't, don't develop and consume my life. Um, you know, I can, uh, this, this process really changes my perspective, uh, which in turn changes my attitude. So um, I just got to, be willing to say, okay, maybe I'm not right. Maybe, or maybe I'm right, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I often say, you know, right or wrong is irrelevant. What matters here is how have I been selfish? How have I been so freaking and dishonest? And once I get to the root of that, you know, then I have something to work with. And this to me is the power of this process. It's just so uh, empowering and you know in the end it enables me to play the role that God has assigned to me to the best of my ability and with joy uh, which I think is is the goal of of, uh, of the process and with that I pass thank you thank you Ness R and who would else like to share on this paragraph okay Okay, hold on. I got Leah. Uh, Le- before okay. Leah, there was who was before Leah? Sarah N. Reva P. Melissa C. Amy E. Okay, I think we're gonna stop Amy. And then I got Larry K. And okay, so we're gonna go. I think I heard Sally A. Leah M. Larry K. Reva P. And Amy E. So we'll go with that. Sally A. 
Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, Edition, for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey. What a great paragraph. It's really just got everything in it, all in one paragraph. It's just so well-packed. Just beautiful. So I love that expression, let's unpack this. And, and some great things have already been said, but for me, the key sentence here is, we have been spiritually sick. And they say that right on the heels of, from it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have not only... We have been not only mentally and physically ill. And so when I look back on the, on the years of being in the food and binging and being so, so confused and lost about what is wrong with me and not being able to figure it out, and I look back on that time, I would never have guessed that it was always a spiritual malady. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. That's what it tells us right here. And so for myself, this is really not complicated because what I realize more and more is that it never was about the food. And it was that something was very wrong with my thinking, that my thinking was really sick. And it was very, very, very sick. And because my thinking was sick, I had a decision to make all the time, every day. You know, we, and we continue to have the same decision. Who do I go to when I feel horrible? Who do I go to when I'm in the sick, the sick frame of mind, frame of thinking? Where do I turn? Do I go to the refrigerator? Because in truth, that was my life. When in doubt, the refrigerator. When in doubt, the ice cream parlor. When in doubt, how much can I eat without looking like I'm really a slob? Because I am. But the truth of the matter was, was I was... I was eating all of that because I wanted the effect. I wanted desperately to quiet my sick thinking. But I learned from this book that I have an alternative. And the alternative is that I was spiritually sick, that I could turn instead to my God, my God, a comforting God, that I could choose instead to turn to God for comfort, not to comfort food. They've got entire books on comfort food, and I can turn instead to my God who is a comfort. I can turn when those marbles are rolling around in my head. Those marbles are all the resentments, the refeeling. Those marbles are all the little tiny arguments I had with so-and-so and so-and-so. Those marbles are all the things that have been troubling me, all those, those things that I carry in my mind and, and that all day I ruminate and ruminate and ruminate and think about. And I can take those marbles and I can, once, once and for all, I can lift them up one at a time, one marble at a time, and I can look at that marble and I can process it. I can get to the end of the road and see where it's my, where it's my responsibility to stop blaming the world and I can process the marbles, the resentments. And in the end of the matter, when it's all said and done, what we do is we carry step four into five by sharing it with someone else and then into six by, by seeing all the character defects and into seven, finally, asking God to remove these character defects. We have been spiritually sick, and that's the truth. I am continually looking at why is it so hard to turn to God when the spiritual malady is overcome. The malady is my ego, my pride, that, that stops me from turning to God. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out 
That would indicate that I was pretty crooked, and I was. That we straighten out mentally and physically. Thanks for letting me share with that, I guess. Thank you, Sally A. And Leah M. And then Larry K. Thank you very much, uh, Julie. We, uh, We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. You know, in working with uh, compulsive overeaters over the course of about three decades, um, (laughs) I find that a lot of compulsive overeaters, myself included, uh, were tremendous people pleasers, Um, you know, wearing a smile on our face, saying nothing's bothering us, everything's fine. Meanwhile, uh, you know, we've got uh, walls of fat, shielding us from the pain, you know, under that heavy anesthetic of compulsive overeating, uh, it did a good job of allowing us to feel numb. You know, compulsive overeating was a desperate attempt to alleviate the pain of life. We put the food down, and this is our first action step, and you begin to realize how many things are percolating on your mind. Now that you're not running to food, now that you're not medicating, anesthetizing the the pain, now it begins to bubble up. And step four is a wonderful opportunity, this process of four through nine, of penetrating the unconscious to get a glimpse of our belief system. And it's a necessity to do. And uh, you don't have to, the big book's not asking us to write our whole life story in excruciating detail. But to write, you know, how do you feel, you know, what offends you? What, how are you wounded? Who wounded you? How are you hurt? You're making a list. It's a simple list, people, institutions, or principles. What do you keep refeeling over and over and over again that you're thinking about it all the time? It's living in your head rent-free. The what-ifs and the if-onlys. If if only this happened, if only that happened, if only this, you know, unfolded in this particular way. You think about what happened and you say, I wish that hadn't happened. All that kind of stuff. With people, be specific. Make it personal. Uh, With institutions, it's merely groups of people, you know, the justice system, the political system, whatever, our university. With principles, it's ideas that bother you. But you begin to realize what is percolating in your mind. Um, And, of course, you can't get upset with others unless your basic instincts have been threatened. So that's where uh, the self-esteem, your pocketbook, your ambitions, your personal relationships come in. But this is a wonderful opportunity to uh, put the smile down, stop the people-pleasing. Where is your pain? (laughs) What do you keep refueling and refueling and refueling and refueling? You're just making a list. You're doing a mind dump. That's what you're doing. What is on your mind? You don't have to regurgitate things that aren't on your mind anymore. What is on your mind? When you think about that situation, it, it gets you burned up. That's what goes on your paper. Make a list. Shouldn't take long. Should not take long. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, M. Larry K. and then Reva P. So, Larry, you're next. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Julie, for your um for your service, Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Yeah, the um, you know the the vast majority of OA members um, 
have, have suffered, <laughs> suffered from self-justification while we binged our brains out, right? And so now that we're in step four, now that we've put the food down, certainly before we get to this point, hopefully, um, perhaps we're suffering even more so. You know, and we're the maker of excuses, excuses for all sorts of behaviors. I know I, know I was. And, you know, like Leah said, once we get some clarity of mind here we, and we begin to get down to these causes and conditions and we're taking a look at resentments here. So I get these resentments down on paper and it wasn't it, it is a simple process. Yet we lose people here for sure. We do. Um, it, it's not enough for me to simply think about them. We've, we've spent we've spent years, most of us, decades for some of us thinking about these things. We think about them all day long. These are our basic instincts. And we feel justified in carrying these resentments. And, you know, the question really is, is, you know, how are they serving us? How are they serving us? Because I embraced my resentments, although I, I would have never admitted so. I embraced these resentments just as much as I would embrace a, a person that I love because they were serving me in some capacity. So um, we, we've got to get rid of them. And you can't get rid of them yourself. All we're doing here is we're just getting it down on paper. We're having the courage to be efficient, quick, and thorough. Yes, not perfect. Try, try perfect. Go ahead and try. You can't do it. You know why? Because you're human. It's impossible. We're efficient. We're quick. Better be quick about it. Better be quick about it. And we're thorough. So, you know, we can't just think about it. We can't get stuck. We, we, we get these resentments down on paper. And if you think you're going to write a dissertation, go ahead. You can try. Uh, be my guest. You want to write a thesis? Be my guest. I tried. I tried. I'm a good writer. Didn't work for me. Didn't work for me. Couldn't move on. I couldn't be quick, efficient, and thorough. We have to be because there's a race. There's a race for time. It, oh, it's not. It's not. If you're going to pick. You think it's an if? <laughs> you think it's an if you're going to pick up? Oh, you're going to pick up. It's, it's when. So we need to race through these steps. But yes, you can be quick, you can be efficient, and you can be thorough. You can. Just like you can put the food down. It's very uncomfortable, but you can put the food down. You're not helpless. You can do it. It's going to be, you're going to have to go through a period of uncomfortability. Same with this. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's okay. Trust the process. With that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. And Amy E., you're next. Did you call Reva P? Sorry, Julia. I uh, Reva. Oh, I'm sorry. Reva P, you're right. You're next. Sorry. I'm entering the E. <laughs> Good morning. This is Reva P, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I have a couple of thoughts about why do we do this, what do we do, and when do we do this. So why do I do this step? Why do I start on the inventory process, which is steps four to nine? Because I've learned and acknowledged that I can't manage my food or my life. I don't have the power and the control and I need a power that's not me. Now if I want to access that power, I have to remove the wall between myself and that power. And step four for me is the beginning of removing the block. Um, when do I do this? I do this as quickly as possible after making the decision to get on with the rest of the work. Um, because for me, if I don't do the work I'm a dry drunk, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, and that's actually more 
more just as or more painful than being in the food. I'm a crazy lunatic. Um, and what do I do? I heard early on, you know, people would make such a big deal about doing the step four, like it was almost terrifying to consider. And that's not what it says in the big book. It's just a list. So first of all, what it's telling me to do is stop talking, stop analyzing, and get a piece of paper and a pen and just make a list because I can talk and talk and talk and never get to the point of what's really getting me so angry and pissed off that I have to binge my face off to anesthetize myself to calm down because I'm so angry. Um, but I had heard people talk about, you know, my assets and my liabilities and I am such a bad person or am I a good person. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about why am I so angry and what's blocking me? Because I'm not a bad person trying to become good. I'm a sick person becoming well. And this step process is teaching me how to get well. And the disease is not about the physical, like it's been shared, it's the spiritual. And this is the only way to get to the heart of the matter. So it's not the volumes I write. It's getting to the point um, and uncovering what's um, blocking me. And then I realize I have a disease of perception. I just see things backwards and it keeps me sick. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Amy E., you're next. Thanks, Julie. Amy E., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. Um, and I love what Vasa O. shared earlier. I find that um, uh, a lot of people, when they start losing the weight, are very are much less interested in doing this fourth step inventory. Um, and it's also been my experience in my own personal experience when I first did this fourth step that I thought that by listing why people made me angry that what Overeaters Anonymous was going to help me do was to help me stand up for myself and um, tell these people what for and grow a spine. So I was really taking a therapeutic Dr. Phil um, kind of look at it. And what's going to happen later on is that uh, fifth column where, how had I played a role? What did I do? Uh, and um, uh, learning that I have, in, in many, many, many situations, almost all situations, even when seemingly unwarranted, I had put myself in a situation to be hurt. I had set myself up, either through something careless that I had said or through some arrogance that I had exhibited that stirred my fellows up and they wanted to retaliate. So this is part of the, the, the process. And once I realized that that was part of the process, I also became less interested in doing the fourth step because I liked being a victim. I liked just getting far enough with saying, you hurt my feelings and it was totally unjustified and I'm mad at you. And uh, when I do this process, I'm going to learn how to tell you where you can go and where you can take it and where you can shove it. And that's not what this is about at all. This is about living a life of spiritual principles. And there's nothing in there about retaliation in those spiritual principles. It's about compassion, forgiveness, understanding, and um, um, 
uh, amends, making amends from my side of the fence. Um, and I love the list. I love the idea of the list. This is not a, a long story. It's really just a list. It makes it less daunting if you just keep it very short and very brief, the way that we're going to learn on page 65 with the columns. I love this uh, a vision for you. Thank you. I, I pass. Thank you, Amy E. Um, this is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And I just wanted to share, uh, resentment is the number one offender. You know, it doesn't tell me it's the number two or it happens sometimes. It's the number one. Early on as a child, my mother would say I would cut my nose off to spite my face. And I never really paid attention to that until I was in these rooms and realized, I mean, resentment was I held those so close and they fueled my fire. And I got to eat through them. I got to eat over them, under them, waiting for one, thinking of a previous one. It really went hand in hand with, with my compulsive overeating. And, you know, today, you know, I, see, it says here that when the spiritual malady is overcome, right, what happens? I straighten out mentally and physically. And it's like, thank God that when I do get a resentment, I have an action plan that I can go ahead and I put them on paper and I go through them and I work on them because I can't afford to have those resentments. The resentments will lead me every time to doing a behavior, an action that does not coincide with my creator. And then eventually I will pick up the food if I don't address them. So this, I just needed to say that resentment is the number one and I can never forget that, that the resentment is the number one offender because I gravitate towards that when I do my nightly review. I have to list who was I resentful at, what was I resentful at because they're going to add up and I can't afford that because my, my program is a solid and I need to keep it solid by having a clear channel to God and when, I ha- when I'm resentful, I can't hear my God. It's the same thing. When I'm in the food, I can't hear God. I can't um, be recovered. I can't uh, try to change. I can't take direction. Same thing with resentments. If I'm riddled with resentment, my God is way far away. So I will pass. Um, We have a a couple of minutes uh, for maybe two more shares. Who would like to share? Alita P. Alita. Okay, Alita P. And who was the next person? Janice M. Janice M. I think that's. That's all we have time for if we do it quick. Great. Alita P., you're next. Hi, good morning. Thank you for your service, Julie, and thank you everyone who has shared beautifully this morning. Um, Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything from it. Dumb, all forms of spiritual disease. I'm going out on a limb a little bit and uh, show an example of when I was very small. My sister, my older sister, was um she was my everything she was like my second mother she doted over me and she spent so much time with me until she got a we got a little bit older and she met a friend and um so we're all together in the swing set playing at the swings and her and her friend she and her friend were whispering about me and she was kind of really leaving me out from that point on and um so that's where my resentment started one resentment one of many and from that point, um, um, stemmed my forms, uh, the many forms of spiritual disease, fear, resentment, anger, 
self-pity, <laughs> and you name it. I didn't, and I've also heard that it's not what happened to me, it's how I dealt with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I just formed a resentment and anger that I just lived with it. And it form, it helped me form a wall. I will never be hurt again. I'll never let my heart be hurt again. I'm going to form a wall and I'm going to be tough. So um, that was a spiritual disease. Um, and I played the victim role um, with that resentment and with many, many millions more throughout the years until I was 12 or 13 when I picked up food to um, soothe my pains. Um, so... Uh, I played the victim language. I've heard in the, another in a twelve-step program. This was called vict- uh, the language of victimese, <laughs> and I kind of like that because I did um, practice that language many years, even into my um, uh, um, years in OA. I practiced it some, and um, so when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So now. When a resentment comes up, I have a way to deal with it. I'm so grateful for that. I don't have to go to the food. I don't have to um, treat people unkindly because I'm hurting so deeply inside. No, when a resentment comes up, I have a way to work with it and deal with it right away on the spot. I'm very thankful for this program. I'm thankful for you, my office fellowship, and I'm thankful to my higher power. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Alita P. And Janice M., I'm sorry, but we've run out of time. If you could share on the after meeting, that would be great. Thank um, you. Will do. Thanks. Okay, thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Susie Kay, would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Will do. Susie Kay here, grateful recovered compulsive eater in Maine. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God and that your calls to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, as you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. 